Hello, you're listening to Jen and the Film Critic, a Screen Mayhem podcast. My name's Jen, and with me is my film critic, Paul. Say hello, Paul. Hello there. I am Vengeance. <laughs> oh, good. Um, <laughs> that's nice to hear. One of us has yeah. to be. I've taken it up now. Good. Oh, keep you busy in your free time. Yeah, you know, I just go out and deliver street justice. Just just a bit of street justice? A bit of street justice for the lads. Yeah. Get and your street justice here. I don't discriminate. <laughs> I wear a sandwich board that says justice here. And uh, they form a queue. It's very nice. Yeah. You moved on from free hugs then. (laughs) (laughs) There was free free hugs, it says at the back. Justice Uh at the front, free hugs at the rear. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sounds about right. So uh, from that, can I take it that we're talking about the Batman today? Well, we've got a Batman to talk about. And we do have fewer films in general because pretty much all of the uh, big studios are avoiding releasing anything around the Batman. They're all very afraid of this mm. terrifying man and his weird cape. <laughs> Personal vengeance against them for releasing their movie at the same time. <laughs> do they know he's, he's fictional? Do they know he's not real? I don't know if they do, and I don't know if anyone does, because we have yet another Batman movie. It's the third iteration of Batman in the past ten years. Is it? Oh, yes, so it is. Oof. It is. And we have, you know, for anyone, it'd be amazing to meet someone who's just never seen a Batman movie. And it's like, what's it about? You know, what's yeah. what happens in, in this movie? Yeah. So how does he become the Batman? How does he become? You're not going to find that out here because we do start with him already in the process of Batmaning. Oh, good. Uh, it's been about 10 years since his uh, parents were killed. <gasps> Spoilers. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is his tragic, his dark past. Yeah. I'm in the night. Oh. Like, I really miss my dad. So his parents are dead, and he is out uh, sort of beating up street thugs while dressed as a bat. Okay. There's there's a very lateral uh, flow of logic there that Mm -hmm. has been skipped. (laughs) And now there is a horrible serial killer around called the Riddler. Mm. Now, when the last good Batman film was made in 2012... Um, we'll put our cards on the table there when the okay. last good one was made <laughs> yeah. um, Christopher Nolan drew from Metropolis Tale of Two Cities and The Battle of Algiers for mm. the Batman Matt Reeves has very obviously drawn from Seven and Zodiac but mm. for its aesthetic he seems to have been influenced by every single previous Batman movie smushed together Okay. <laughs> Wayne Manor is pure Burton and there's okay. quite a few locations that are very sort of over gothic kind of spires and angles and right. it all looks very camp in quite a yeah. fun way. Gotham City itself is somewhere between the Batman Begins Blade Runner-esque narrows okay. and Nolan's kind of gl- later glass skyscrapers and dingy nightclubs, mm-hmm. uh, which is fun. And meanwhile, we do actually have some of the neon-tinged nonsense that recalls Schumacher's Batman, um, as well as some face-painted street toughs. Oh. Who look like they're straight out of Batman Forever, which is very pleasing. That um, is fun. And most unbelievably, we do have a villain who encourages recollections of Adam West's excellent um, uh, Batman turn. But we shall, nice. we shall get to the villain. Uh, and we have the heavy-handed color grading from the Snyder films. Although here, rather than go for a sort of bland blue-green kind of look, we're going for a sort of grungy and intimate orange and yellow. Ooh. Which is, um, yeah... Intimate orange. Intimate. Get up in that Batman. So the film does bring it back to the sort of 30s crime noirs of Batman's origins, you know, as a comic book in the 30s. And it has that kind of pulpy feel to it, which is quite Mm -hmm. fun, a sort of gringy, dark story. But the plot and style is very Fincher. You know, we have... We have the Riddler, who is a serial killer who is taking out prominent Gothamites and leaving the master vigilante known as the Batman clues uh, regarding his motive, which seems to have something to do with Bruce Wayne's past. Mm. The film is very plot driven, okay. with our characters basically just kind of waiting for the Riddler to do something and then reacting to that, including a lengthy sequence of Bruce investigating a revelation about his parents, during which the Riddler is just kind of not around. He just kind of <laughs> okay. gives him space. You know what? Well, You're going take for your a time. lot. Yeah. Take your time. When you're ready, I need you to I'll be learn this you. really. I've got look, just when you got some spare time, work on the riddle, it'll tell you where to come and find the next bit of information. Yeah. Um But the problem is there's not much in the way of choices being made by the Batman and his mm. friends. He just kind of investigates and then follows the lead that he's fed. Okay. It's very much a thing of, you know, things happen to this Batman. He's not really mm. Because the Dark Knight was all about the Batman being tempted into making increasingly desperate decisions in order Mm. to try and stop the joker and um you know figuring out how much he was willing to sacrifice to do so Mm. he's a bit more passive in this 
Okay. Which is a shame because I do really like Robert Pattinson's troubled Dark Knight. Mm. Um, and we don't get too much insight into him as a character, though. His Bruce Wayne persona is actually deliberately weak because, unlike Nolan's Batman, Matt Reeves' Batman is not interested in keeping up appearances as Bruce Wayne. He's oh, really? Not Interesting. Interested in developing his alter ego at all. Mm. Um, he's happy to just be known as a grungy recluse who's not going to make public appearances since the death of his parents. Okay. Um, he's only interested to uh, the point of obsession with his mm. work as the Batman. Mm. Um, consequently, he's a bit thin, but mm. that is kind of the point that he's a bit thin and that he needs to live a more robust life as a result. Mm. Um, he's dominated by obsession. Only, I don't know, the film needs to move him throughout the plot to a more complicated place okay. and had that come a bit more naturally through his relationship with, for example, Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman, who's very good, mm. and the Riddler character, rather than his own interactions with his own backstory, I might have been more convinced of where he ends up and invested in seeing him get there. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, a little okay. bit more, I don't know, just a bit more organic interaction between him and the other characters yeah. would have filled in some of the gaps there. Stuff that's less plot-focused would be good. Mm. Because pretty much every time he speaks to Alfred, it is about specifically what he should do next, mm. as opposed to you know who he is and you know any sort of push and pull on him, yeah. uh, which is a shame because I think the film is more successful thematically. Mm. And though I always posit that the Dark Knight is subtly anti-Batman or at least Batman agnostic, this Batman is most definitely interested in demonstrating the folly of Bruce's endeavor. Okay, that's um, interesting. Firstly, by drawing parallels between Bruce's sort of extracurricular activities and the Riddler's attempt to solve societal injustice through violent action, mm -hmm. but then also comparing his actions to those of violent groups, for example, and you know, possibly accidentally. I'm not quite sure how the production lines up, but they really do effectively uh, invoke the mob who attacked the Capitol building last year. <laughs> There's a whole subplot huh. that the Riddler is like an internet troll, a okay. QAnoner who's kind of riling up people to join him in his cause. Um, yeah, it, it very much recalls QAnon. And I don't cool. know if they, they, they probably started production on this before that, but it's quite prescient. Yeah. Um, so it's a big condemnation of people taking the law into their own hands but also of a system that allows people to sort of feel that they need to mm. uh, with occlusion that reflects the fact that Batman needs to do better and set a good example, which is pleasantly surprising for what up to that point had been quite a unashamed sort of naughty's emo Batman. <laughs> um, right down to the music, which has a very sort of smashing pumpkins feel to it in places. Fun. <laughs> in spite of my rage, I'm still just a bat in a cage. <laughs> oh! oh, here we go. This is oh. where this is where we do things like that sometimes. Um. <laughs> Can I say I was watching? I well, I wasn't directly watching, but I kind of had to. I, I, I was in a room where um, Homes Under the Hammer was on yesterday. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, don't judge me. And um, <laughs> this is fine. Um, I was sort of watching it as you do, and mm. this the most awkward use of that sort of thing where they put you know put in a song just because they have like one lyric that they like and it was like i can't remember exactly what the narrator said but they were like focusing on some garages or whatever and they were mm. like because this property although it doesn't seem very great now of course it is and then she literally just stopped and the song went very promising <laughs> like, that's so dumb that's so bad <laughs> It was such a lazy. I don't know. It was In just my head, I was janky. trying to think of another like song lyric we could awkwardly work into "Homes Under the Hammer," yeah. but then Kanye West's "Black Skinhead" came into mind, and I was okay. like, "Well, that's not going anywhere, and I'm not going to try with that." So. <laughs> what were we singing just before? Uh, "Bad Moon Rising." "Bad Moon Rising." No. <laughs> yeah, it's harder than it looks, and it you've got to respect the Homes Under the Hammer team for that. For trying, they tried, uh, but. Oof. <laughs> it, it made me laugh. I enjoyed it. Because it was oh, bad. Anyway. It's fair. Please, do you please. know what? Do you know what? Mm. The thing about Batman yeah. is that people like it because there's often action in it. There's bits where the Batman Ooh. like punches people and he has a good car. Like a yeah. good car that he, he uses. does have a great car. He has a really good car often. And the action is good. Mm. It's borrowing the sort of focus on impact over clarity that Nolan used. Um, but with a bit more clarity than Batman Begins. It's more mm. like his later stuff. And it's 
you know, it's got a good visceral kind of feel to it. And the car chases use this mounted camera approach that, um, again, Nolan used quite memorably in Interstellar, but mm. Reeves is citing the French connection as an influence, which is clear. Mm. But with the French connection, you could always see what was happening. Okay. Uh, same <laughs> isn't quite true here. And the chase scene in particular is a bit uh, disorientating mm. in a... Um, in a way that, you know, that it, it would be. And if you're going for naturalism, it's good. It, it captures the sort of, you know, hecticness of the situation. Um, but yeah, in terms of action, it's good choreography. It's, um, for the most part, it's quite entertaining. Uh, it's weird. I actually wanted to pitch to What Culture a um, an article about the best Batman-related action scenes, and I couldn't quite think of which one you would pick from this to exemplify it. Mm. And I'm I'm still not quite sure. Maybe the fight near the end in the rafters. Yeah. Um, but it's more sort of little action beats, okay. which are quite quite visceral and entertaining. Mm. I liked Pattinson as Batman, though I'd like to see more in a life with him. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, as yeah. Lena Kyle. Earning a proud place alongside Pfeiffer and Hathaway, though she is less unique than either of those two iterations and feels a bit like a combination of the two in terms of her mm-hmm. flirty relationship with Bruce Wayne. And well, yeah, it's a it's a, a classic character, but with both Pfeiffer and Hathaway, it kind of felt like, ooh, something new, a new take mm-hmm. on this character. And this isn't quite that, but it's a competent take. Okay. How how does so she compare that. to Crucially Berry? <laughs> Halle Berry, yeah. She's mm. um she's she's better than Halle Berry. There's no point <gasps> in which she um Scandal. she says that anything anything is uh, perfect i can't see, i can't purr. I'm, there you go you could be a good cat woman I, I would be a bad cat woman <laughs> i can do a high kick and everything you do a high I kick cannot you could probably borrow the spandex off of katie yeah so i think you'd i, I own a pair of tights that's all you need right <laughs> tights yeah that'll do yeah <laughs> it's yeah robin hood i think that's it yeah she's, Robin, she's essentially a robin hood archetype so mm. True, I can guess. really take it back to a more primal place. Mm. Uh, Colin Farrell's Penguin is good, though needn't really have been him, and it would have been nice to see them actually go with an actual plump performer rather than stuff mm. another guy in a fat suit. But hey, mm. I love June, so who am I to talk? <laughs> um, and I am also a very fit, slim man in a fat suit. Um, so <laughs> I respect the uh, representation there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jeffrey Wright is great as Gordon, and I love Jeffrey Wright in general. Mm. Um, in particular recently after seeing him in uh, The French Dispatch. and Well, he's been around for ages, but I feel like he's coming into his own lately, especially with Westworld as well. He's um, He's got all the quiet desperation and sensitivity that you would want or need there. Andy Serkis is a good Alfred, gentle but firm, fatherly. He is basically standing in for all of Batman's why batman is able to batman because we're not doing the christopher nolan he went off to a you know foreign country and learned to be a ninja Mm -hmm. no he learned how to do it all from alfred including presumably car car repair invent because he doesn't have a lucid fox either so presumably all his gadgets all his ability to fight it all came from alfred wow that's intense (laughs) it is intense and it does this does feel like a bit of a smaller world this particular the the batman if there's fewer characters it's more intense and it it feels a bit more contained which is a bit of a shame but it's important to sort of make it different i guess if you're gonna make this story again again that brings us to paul dano as uh the riddler paul dano paul dano and the thing is batman typically has very strong villains except for the snyderverse which doesn't have strong anything but Mm. With Nolan and Burton in particular, and yes, even Schumacher, the villains are the highlights of the film. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, Nobody yeah. Full remembers count. anything about <laughs> Val Kilmer's Batman, but you yeah. remember Jim Carrey as the Riddler and Tommy Lee Jones as, as oh, yeah. two-head. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these are very memorable parts of these films, and you just you want to see more of them, and they're captivating and frightening and yeah. often more complex than the hero, but... Dano is basically playing a mix between his characters and There Will Be Blood and Prisoners. Okay. It's not very engaging and we've seen it better before mm. uh but hey sailor sailor batman it's <laughs> it's very i think overall the film is very stylish and it's quite entertaining but there's not a lot pulling me back in for a second viewing oh, okay and i know that i you know i'm a massive nolan fanboy and i absolutely love the dark knight trilogy but i really do think i was objective in watching this mm. because it was before i started seeing everyone on twitter sort of asking is this better than the dark knight it's like no it's not but even before then <laughs> Coming out of the cinema with Casey, we did both sort of just quietly agree it's a it's a three star. Okay, it's it's fine, but it has problems and yeah. it's a little uneven. Yeah, I would like to see this because I like mm. Batman. Yeah, films. you'll get some good Batman. You will get yeah, good I Batmaning. Do. I enjoy. You'll Batman. see him wearing his costumes, stalking people, and he monologues in this one very much like Rorschach from from Watchmen. Oh, fun. 
enjoyable. The city cries out for me, or the spirit. <laughs> she is my lady. I must mm. serve her. You know, not quite as on the nose or as obnoxious as that, but <laughs> it has an interesting point to make about the Batman, Batman, mm. the Batman, Batman. Uh, mythos. The Batman mythos. And I can't mm. talk. This is a very bad medium for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, it has some interesting points to make, but ultimately I just found it a little underwhelming, which is a yeah. shame because I really like Matt Reeves. I love those last two ape movies that he made. <laughs> ape movies. He made the ape movies and they he were very the good. Movies. And yeah. as you'd expect from the ape movies, he does bring a lot of sensitivity and nuance to the film, but he hasn't brought the depth that he achieved with um, with his ape movies. <laughs> Funnily enough, apes were deeper than bats. <laughs> this is what we've learned apes versus in this bats. crazy menagerie of a, mm. of a cinematic <laughs> landscape we have now, where movies keep coming out called just single animals. Yeah. In the last year alone, we've had pig, sheep, no, pig, lamb, and cow. Yeah. And it's just, it's getting out of hand. And that's why cinema's dying. Has there been a goat yet? No, we can make a goat. We could make goat. We can make goat. Greatest of all time. We make goat. We make goat. Me, make you. Goat. Make goat. <laughs> Nicholas Cage gave up on the pig and is now looking for his pet goat. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's that's, that's it. it's more literally adorable it. adventure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and when he finds the goat, it's a half goat, half baby human. No, oh. it's an amalgamation. And also it's a, the whole thing is a damning indictment on the dairy industry. So yeah. So combined all of the threads. Yeah. <laughs> also, he's justice. Yeah, he is justice. Nicholas Cage was down to play Superman once. And that would have been that would have been sheer madness. That would have made Superman interesting for once. I've yes, yet it would to have. see a Superman <laughs> film that is interesting come at me. Um <laughs> That's that's fair. I would I would offer a half hearted praise of Richard Donner's Superman, um, but the film is Wait, which one's that one? That's the nineteen seventies movie with Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, who is again the most interesting part of that mm. film. Um it I was I don't think I was quite the right generation to be swept away by Superman. No. Ah, mm. eh. oh well. Eh. There you eh. go. Eh. He's eh. got a good logo, though. We'll give him that. He's got a cracking logo. Cracking logo. <laughs> I'll tell you, someone who doesn't even need a logo, and that's Ali and Ava. Ali and Ava. Neither of Ali them have logos. Ali and Ava. The f- no, they don't have logos, lo- but logos. <laughs> they don't have any logies, but they do have the bloody uh, strength of conviction and courage of ca- and their character to go up against the Batman, having been released the exact same day. Oh wow. Bold. Yeah, it is Cleo Bernard's sensitive and stirring portrait of an unconventional romance. We have um, two people, basically, uh, in sort of working-class Bradford. Mm. We have Adil Akhtar um, as Ali. He's... Um, what is his role now? He he kind of he's he's stuck in his own house. He's divorced. He's separated from his partner, but none of them dare tell the family, which is quite strictly Muslim, or at least conventionally Muslim. And he doesn't want the judgment. But she yeah. is. They're separated. They're not sleeping in the same bed. They're sleeping in different rooms. And she has basically got a foot out the door. She's got prospects. She's moving on. He meanwhile is just sort of driving, doing driving services and blowing off steam by going out to a field in the early hours of the morning and dancing on top of his car, which is great fun claire rushbrook on the other hand is a um is from a sort of white working class family she has kids and she's living in a sort of terraced house the two of them meet and a romance begins (gasps) between the two uh which is a lot of fun and really endearing and beautifully played by the two of them but there are tensions coming from both families and in particular from claire rushbrook's character's son uh, from ava's son who has inherited some very unfortunate um, habits from his uh, deceased father or he might have left I forget but he's not in the picture he's gone mm. so it's very heavy in places with some very serious kind of racist racism uh, mm. tones and sort of class issues but it's also just really full of humanity and humor it's a really delightful film that relishes and really thrives in its interactions between its characters and in seeing them interact with the people around them. In particular, any scene that involves them having to interact with like the kids that they sort of help out or provide services for is really, really quite endearing. Yeah. In terms of portraying prejudice as being this thing that is inherited, it, I don't know, it, it still feels authentic, even if it's maybe not getting, it's not too interested in getting right to the bottom of this, you know, of the young guy's problem with people of different races Mm. it's more just willing to sort of dismiss his view as being based in ignorance and you know because ultimately what it really wants to do is explore the idea of love as an opportunity for escape but also self-realization 
Both of these okay. people have now been ground down by their circumstances to a point where they no longer feel like themselves. And in finding a new relationship with each other, they find a new opportunity to sort of express themselves and find out new things about themselves and about the world they live in. Um, and speaking of which, you've got this really beautifully uh, shot and intimate portrait of working class Bradford and the sort of surrounding countryside. Yeah, it's just it's a very charming film. I think, mm. and Cleo Bernard, it's easily Cleo Bernard's uh, lightest film okay. to date, because like, I think that's The Selfish Giant and they're fairly, it's a fairly grim sort of Ken Loach style experience uh. that is nevertheless and uh, you know similarly filled with that humanity, but it's still going to go to a very dark place in the end. This is an altogether it's probably her most accessible film, and one that really demonstrates what her great strengths are, but also not one that's like, you know, overly sentimental or pandering. Okay. It's still it still feels like a real portrayal of um, people you don't get to hear all that much about. And I think it's mm. really quite great for that. That's nice. Sounds yeah. lovely. Yeah. So that's going to get all five. All five? All five of them. I loved it. Were we? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you better God. believe it. Yeah, I'd mm. see that. I remember seeing it mm. at, on the program yes. for the film festival. It was. And I can't that's I saw it. I don't think I highlighted it, and I don't know why. Hmm. I don't know if they... Uh, well, I hope they sold it uh, in the right way, because it mm. really is just this kind of really involving character study, which follows these characters as they go about their lives. And I remember the day we, I remember the day I saw it, actually. I'd gone with you to go see The Lost Daughter. Ah, yes. And I walked you to the station, yes. and I ran back in order to see so you um, did. <laughs> Ellie and Ava. <laughs> so you did. Yeah. Film festivals yeah. are uh, a crazy time. Yes, they are. Mm. yes they are uh, can't wait for the next one uh, it's uh, less than six months away yeah oh wow oh wow yeah. okay yeah at what point am i gonna stop being like well i saw that on the london film festival program <laughs> no that's gonna carry on literally forever now that you've now like what yeah now that you've properly engaged the london film festival like next year you'll see stuff that was at last year's one it takes ages for films to get distributed i'm still wow. waiting for all my friends hate me to get any kind of distribution i think it's coming yeah. out in june now really and i can't wait that for was that, that was wanna... so good it was so good and i can't wait for us to talk about that when yes. we get a bit closer to its release but yeah that uh, june june we saw in october yeah we did <laughs> it's yeah. quite insane yeah that that needs a release yeah it really does <laughs> but i mean ali and ava also sounds good <laughs> it's really excellent great 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 uh, I tell oh, you else who needs a release, and uh, <laughs> go on. <laughs> unfortunately, segues into Red Rocket. Red Rocket. I... Red Rocket. Mm, do I recognise oh. this one from the film festival? This... I don't. Maybe. Oh, yeah. yes. It was the. Is this it was one this about? Year's, this is, it was this year's surprise film. I think. Was it? I think so. Okay, tell me what, what this is about. Say? I'm going to stop trying to guess what this film is. <laughs> I want you to guess what this film. What were you going to say? Is this about? Is this one about? A weird guy who wants to get this red-haired girl to, like, star in a porno or something. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Okay. Wow. I'm really quite amazed that you... Yeah. Jesus, you must have really studied this film thing. I I spent, like, a full day reading that program. That's amazing. That's seared oh into God. my mind. I also did highlight this one because I was like, seems weird. I don't know why. I... I really enjoyed it. So it's okay, this good. is Sean Baker. <laughs> this is Sean Baker, the guy who directed um, Tangerine and the Florida Project a few years ago. Which oh, both of which yes, were really good. I've heard so. Yeah, and both of which were very interesting portrayals of again, very much like Ali and Ava, sort of stories that don't often get told and aspects of like the American underbelly that goes unexplored all too mm. often. Here we have we have a guy who is a porn star. He's been working in the porn industry for about fifteen years. Um, and is now in his mid to late thirties, and something has happened that leads him to um, come back. Seventeen years he's been working, so something has happened that leads him to return to Texas City, um, okay, in Texas, um, you know, his hometown, mm -hmm. where he suddenly rediscovers a lot of people who he has at some point hurt in various ways, um, but also then finds new people to hurt essentially so <laughs> wonderful you know those movies where you meet a bad guy like a villain or mm. like a hitman or something and you spend the movie learning that oh underneath he's got something there that means he wishes he could be better and yeah 
This is the opposite of that. This is a movie (laughs) where you meet a guy who's very hectic, but clearly has a lot of charisma and charm Mm. and like affability. And he like, he can get his way, you know, into your confidence. Mm. And then as you learn more about him, the more despicable he is. It's um, it's very it's Simon Rex playing okay. Mickey Mickey Saber as I believe his wow. poor name is. Um, That's a good name. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's very interesting because he basically, in getting into pornography in the year two thousand and one, it's around about the time in which I became old enough to be aware of pornography. So he's talking <laughs> about Brazzers and various companies that he's worked for, and it's interesting to think, wow, what does happen to those guys? The guys yeah. on the other end of the big dicks. What? Yeah. Wh- where do they go and what do they do? And once this guy has burned his last bridge, he shows up again. And he is a man who just never grew up. Okay. He peaked when he was 18 uh-huh. as a fairly successful drug dealer, um, small time drug dealer, um, and then a porn star. But once you get past his big dick and his big dick energy, mm-hmm. he just has this need to try and get back to where he was and prove himself because of his incredibly low self-esteem after, you know, everything else. And yet he is just utterly self-centered. He sees everybody around him as utility. Mm. How can this person sort of help me to get to where I'm gonna, I am gonna? I want to be? And that includes, as you say, Susanna Son, a 17-year-old girl he meets in a donut shop who he then decides is going to be his big opportunity to get back into the porn industry when he becomes essentially her pimp okay. um, manager, as he calls yeah. it. But he also starts a sexual relationship with her, which is, okay. yeah, it, it's mm. fairly disturbing. It's a black comedy, I think. Mm. It's very funny in places. Um <laughs> It really is darkly comedic, but it does, it packs a punch yeah. in terms of what it portrays and how how low this awful man is willing to go. Um, and you do maintain sympathy for him in the same way you would for a kid. He's very much like a kid in his mannerisms and his the way in which he interacts with the world and his sort of good-natured but completely oblivious interactions. Yeah. Because early on, you do. there's a point where you realize, huh, he doesn't listen to anyone. He has no interest. There's about halfway mm. through the movie, he moves back in with his wife that he left, who he had also got, who had come with him to do porn originally. So she had been like his first partner mm. in porn, and she had come back, you know, some five years prior um, or so. And then, you know, now he ends up following. And he's completely, he's very judgmental of other people too. You know, mm. he's very judgment, quick to call out people for having burned out and failed and come back and end up living with, you know, their parents and such. When he's done the exact same thing in the, the movie. <laughs> Um, but he has yeah. no self-awareness in that respect. Yeah, so he's completely oblivious. Halfway through the movie, he's been staying with this woman, his former, his technically still wife, and he notices a picture of her kid mm. on the mantle. And it's like, oh, we don't know anything about her because we're just experiencing this world through his eyes uh-huh. and he is disinterested in everyone. <laughs> you know, he's he's no, he's not going to interact with people in any sort of authentic way. No. Um, yeah, and we've got Sean Baker's camera, which has this documentary style to it, the sort of shaky cam, but also static cam and weird fixed angles, and it it has a real sense of authenticity to it. And it's just driven by this frantic energy that feels like it's made by a much younger director. Um, and this incredible... Yeah, this incredible cast, which, again, it feels very much like his usual style it's the same way in which he cast the florida mm-hmm. project which is that he just approached people and susanna son he approached at some sort of film premiere for a different movie and she'd never acted before which wow. is surprising because this is a very demanding role from her both physically and sort of spiritually and yeah in every respect essentially so yeah it, it's amazing that he sort of has this relationship with his cast and yeah it's just it's really it's really authentic it feels like you're actually really seeing a part a part of this country that you don't normally see. And interestingly, the 2016 presidential election in which of course Donald Trump ended up, you know, huh, taking the presidency yeah. is rumbling on in the background. Okay. And is, you know, seen on the news in several different sequences and there's this odd sense of somehow this is why oh. <laughs> because <laughs> because somehow this whole story is why that ended up happening. You know, because of this mindset. Because no one's ever interested in it. Nobody engages with it because it just doesn't seem applicable to their situation. But yeah, there's this great feeling of disaffection going Mm. on throughout the whole thing. So yeah, I really enjoyed Red Rocket. It's disturbing. It's not what I (laughs) thought it would be. 
No. I read the synopsis as Guy returns to his hometown and is a porn star. So I thought it would just be a kind of funny kind of, oh, and there is a sequence of him trying to get a job, but, you know, he's got 17 years of basically a hole in his CV. Yeah. <laughs> but he can't resist every single employer. He can't resist ending up telling them that he is a porn star and that he won five adult videos uh, awards, <laughs> you know, including best oral, which everyone is very quick to point out was is an award for receiving oral so yeah. like it's uh, the girls award really yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's a very interesting film quite a funny one and i, I would okay. recommend it. and i think that'll get the five as well because interesting i think even the star and i've seen people say oh but it vindicates him and i don't think it does <laughs> okay. if you're paying attention to this i don't think you're invited to think of this guy as being the hero of this story he's very mm. much an anti-hero and i think it's quite mag- magnetic for that Yes, mm. <laughs> uh, it does sound like an interesting film. And so I like mm. to say that my gut um, reaction when reading it in the program was correct. And I just knew it was going to be an interesting character study. Yeah, and I wasn't it was just a like, very intense oh. character study. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, well. Yes, yes, well, sound... mother. Mm, maybe don't mm. bring mother. Mm. <laughs> or maybe do. She might be nasty. <laughs> She's disgusting. And my mum actually listens to these. Mum, you're not disgusting. Don't listen to this one. <laughs> don't listen to this. Oh, yeah. Go back and don't listen to this one. <laughs> go definitely. back and don't listen to this one. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was our... That was... No. <laughs> I don't I know agree. the word... I don't know the word porn. What uh, was this about? He, You said he works oh, with the prawn industry? Yeah, he's he in the prawn deals, industry. He he's deals seafood, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what he does. He's and it's it's just a, it's a young man's game. It's a young man's game. It is. <laughs> but you're quite right. No, no, Cyrano. I guess Cyrano. It. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cyrano. Cyrano. Was we it a Cyrano or a Sir Yes? Give me the answer uh, right. It was. I, I think it's a Sir Yes from me. A Sir. Okay. <laughs> is a Sir all right? Yeah. <laughs> it's. <laughs> It's a serial adaptation of Erica Schmidt's stage musical mm-hmm. based on Edmund Rosten's play, of course. Um, and you and I recently saw <laughs> yes, Martin Crimp's uh, incredible stage version with James McAvoy. Yeah. It was very, very good. Yeah. Very, very, very good. Yeah. And it was very interesting to see this so shortly after having seen that because it's, yeah. of course, two different adaptations of the same play in mm. very different styles. And what you see here really is the... A big difference between like the cinematic and the theatrical, because I think both are using the best of their ability. Okay. The play that we saw uses bombast, which mm. is what the theater can do. It's like it's big, it's bold, it's the you know getting to the back seats. Whereas this uses the main tool of the cin- of the cinema, which is a little more, I guess, nuance. Which mm. is not to say better. Everybody thinks nuance is good, bombast bad, but it's not. It's about knowing where your strengths are. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so with this film, the staging is very beautiful. It's grandiose, but quite intimate um, in, in the way it stages its action. We should talk about the plot, sorry. This, the plot is you've got this um, this kind of rakish uh, writer, poet, mm. who, uh, who is Cyrano de Bergerac, who in most versions of the play is characterized as having a disfiguringly large nose. Yeah, huge schnozzer. Uh, absolutely huge, uh, huge nuge. <laughs> huge nuge. Huge nuge. And in this, uh, they've shifted it slightly to now be about his height. Mm. And then he falls in love with a woman named Roxanne. Yeah, babe. Here played by Hayley Bennett, okay. who's super hot. Yeah. And everybody <laughs> wants to get with her, including, um, who is De, Go- De Goish? He's it, De Geish. Um, De Geish. Well, I don't know. That's um, how they're saying it in the, uh, in the play. Yeah, De- we that, that... He's the nephew of the cardinal. He's someone yes, with power right. and money in the that's area. It. So he has a lot of yeah. influence. Mm. He does. So he's in love he's with, um, with yeah. Roxanne as well. And he's creepy, yes. And it's yeah. interesting to see the difference in him, in that character. Because in the theatre, it's basically... He, he reminded me of the actor I saw playing Miss Trunchbull in the Matilda <laughs> thing. It was very big. It was very yes, funny. very funny. Um, <laughs> here we've got Ben Mendelsohn, who's also kind of funny, but he's also a, a slightly more tragic figure, more in mm. keeping with like Frollo from um, okay. back in Notre Dame. Yes. Um, so it's, again, interesting to see the difference there. Interesting. But yes, also in love with um, Roxanne is a young soldier. A uh, hottie. Christian. Yeah. Yep, and he's hot. He's All super babe, hot, but he's no a bit words. Dim. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he's got no words. He's unable to express his love um, for Roxanne. And so once Pete, um, I was going to say once Peter Dinklage, once Cyrano <laughs> discovers that Roxanne is in, has, has an infatuation with Christian, 
he decides that he is going to use his words to help him to seduce her in yeah. for sort of nebulous personal mm. reasons. Yeah, and here we have essentially so the stage play had rap. Mm. You know, it was this kind of rap thing and all of the rhyming Rhyme was done like and that and it was Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It was really fun. It had, you know, this these really this really fun sort of musical moments. Here they've done it like a musical. And indeed the songs do feel like oh, sort interesting. of okay. Hollywood musical style mm. things, which I was a little concerned about because the song they used for the trailer, yeah, um I can't remember what it's called, but it, it's it's arguably the weaker of the songs. Okay. And it did lead me to be a little reluctant to see this because in particular the song has a lovely melody for when an individual is singing it, but once it needs to expand to a whole mm. bunch of people harmonizing with each other, I found it a bit weak. Okay. Like I felt like the actual melody got lost a little bit. Mm. Um and wasn't quite strong enough to sort of withstand that many people all singing it. <laughs> especially with I the uh, very especially with the kind of uh slightly uh and slight uh, choreography that was highlighted in the trailer. But okay. fortunately, In Place is a lot better. It's um, There's some really great songs, including a song that everybody sings when they're about to go off, you know, on that disastrous mission mm. in the uh, war segment. Yeah, And that was just superb. That really got me. And I, I'm pretty sure the performers in that moment must have been from the Broadway production because they were just marvellous. Cool. So, yes, Joe Wright has delivered a, fa- a fairly cinematic version of this play. You, you're not overly aware of the fact that it's a play. It manages to move around locations and make good use of space cool. in a way that heightens the drama. Mm. Um, so, in that res- and that's always a risk when you adapt stage to screen is that you end up with something that feels like a f- play that has been filmed and as you mm. know, Robert Bresson assures yeah. us that is the weakness of film yeah so it's, it's fairly funny but I did have behind me a guy who was laughing at it in the same way an English teacher laughs at Shakespeare <laughs> it's just we got to all the bits that I knew were funny from having seen the stage play like I remember yeah. laughing at them and like the the rap battle early on between um, mm. Cyrano and the uh, terrible actor, yeah. And the guy behind me would just go, "Ha <laughs> <laughs> Bravo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Very funny. I, wa- I wonder if anybody else picked up on that. <laughs> <laughs> Rather, <laughs> yes, yes, ah, yes, yes, of course. Yes. Ah, I know the text troll. well. Very troll, <laughs> troll, troll." <laughs> so yes it was but it was still funny it was funny and i thought peter dinklage was very good and we should focus on the performance in fact because you've got peter dinklage offering this very very sincere performance of um bergerac which maybe didn't have the pure energy of um james mcavoy nobody does nobody could ever match that energy i'll try and beat that out Um, (laughs) you could take it again no No, absolutely no. not. Um, yeah, nobody has that energy, and it's a hard thing to live up to. But nevertheless, he is charming, he's charismatic, and you totally feel for him, and you want him to succeed. Mm. Haley Bennett, then, as Roxanne, it's a tricky old role when mm. it was written, because ultimately you do have to spend most of the play being very superficial. Yeah. And it didn't have that moment of revelation that was in the play, where she mm. sort of realizes, oh, I've I've actually you know been living quite superficially in my early life. But you still do have a performance that manages to be amiable and sympathetic okay. and, you know, engaging mm. um, in spite of the apparent lack of revelation, which is maybe more implied by her actions because she does eventually go on. I can't remember. Does she become like a nun and start tending to people? In the, in I the don't play? know in the original play, in the, um, mm. in, our play, in, the in the version we saw with McAvoy, she, mm. um, no, does the opposite of becoming a nun. She uh. <laughs> oh yes, allows right. Geesh yes. to sort of she's very take sad. Take care of her. She allows Geesh to take care of her. Um, yes, and she gets a bit of a reputation, and she um, ends yeah. up drinking a lot. So kind of yes. the opposite of nunning. But yes, um, very much so. And that's a bit of a cop out, perhaps. Yeah. But um, because it really that really brought home the idea of you know necessity, mm. sort of destroying and unraveling beauty. Yeah. Um, but then we have Kelvin Harrison Jr. as um. Christian. And once again, I'm just really sad about the character of Christian because he's introduced, he's basically treated like the jock in this play. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's the, the obstacle to be gotten past so that the two true lovers can be together. And I think the play did quite a good thing in having him and Cyrano have a bit of a sexual tension between them. Uh, that, yeah. Yeah, that, that was good. I enjoyed um, that. It goes, it's very, tension, yeah, more than tension. <laughs> 
Well, you know, they don't yeah, have it know. off in the end, but they, yeah, they, they, they just get... Just one smooch. They have a bit of a smooch, and it's very, very good. Because yeah. it involves him, and it makes more it makes it more of an intimate connection between Cyrano and this man, and it makes more sense of his actions later on in the play, um, slash film. Here, he's just... I just feel sorry for the guy. <laughs> he has this whirlwind romance for a woman based on false pretenses, which he ends up coming to know, and it's, uh, and it's all too aware of. And it's just kind of sad, and then, you know, mm. ultimately that kind of gets undone even further, so... Yeah. A tragic character that one. Oh, it's he's very tragic, really, because mm. he just he just wanted some, you know, he just gets convinced to yeah. accept some help to woo this yes girl who he's that's... heard is also into him. And yes, exactly. He's and that's just only foil, really, is that yeah. he does form this superficial infatuation. But so did she. You know, yeah, so. of course they both did, and that's the point. They're both they meant both to be like did. eighteen or something, aren't they? They're both yeah into well, each yeah. other. <laughs> and the real tragedy is it of it is that if Cyrano just kind of let that play out. <laughs> Without yeah, they probably would have fizzled out quite quickly. Clever. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, it would have fizzled but he saw out. It, he saw it as an opportunity to sort of bare his soul, and I guess yeah, that's he did. You know, what he got the chance to do. So, yeah, it's a beautiful and fairly faithful adaptation. It's mm. uncontroversial. It's not going to ruffle any feathers, and it did feel a bit more okay. sanitized than the version we saw. But nevertheless, yeah. I, I'd give it four stars, I think. It didn't okay. really wow me or blow me away, but I, I, I was engaged, and I, you know nice i found the sad bit sad and the funny bits funny yeah it's a very interesting story it doesn't seem like it should be but it is and i i think i said this to you i'm glad that in neither of the two versions you've seen recently they did the mm. thing where they'd put a big prosthetic nose on on yes, Cyrano yes. because it really <laughs> i know that that's the original and it's you know theoretically yeah. it's based on a historical figure but mm. it's very silly <laughs> yeah so, although as an as an exercise, this was very interesting for me to see a stage play in a film mm. so bad, so close together because in, in some ways, the film has so much more opportunity to do things like actually just show someone if they have a shortcoming, so to speak, um, they can actually show the thing. You know, yeah. you, can, you can see it and it has it's able to do that better and it can show intimate mo- moments a little bit better because people mm. don't have to try and project to the back of the room at no. the same time. But people suspend their disbelief in different ways with a play. Oh, yeah. To the point where you can just have James McAvoy and everybody says his nose is big and even though you can all see his nose is just a regular James McAvoy size, no one questions it because... Yeah you're already using your imagination. We're in a set that's just basically like a cardboard box. Oh, there's almost no set. There's almost no set. Plastic chairs. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we're suspending disbelief and and it's really interesting to see the the ways in which that affords different opportunities. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Both good examples of their form. Yeah. Very different mediums. I'm glad you had, I'm glad you had this opportunity. (laughs) But the play was better. Oh, really? (laughs) Thank you. I mean, that play is, I'm going to go out there. It's phenomenal. I love it's it so much. Incredible. Seen it three times, yeah. would go again. Uh, yeah. James McAvoy, if you're listening, I love you. I love what you're doing. Yep, we'll read you first tweets, and um, yeah, yeah, we'll do, we'll yep. do all of that stuff. So get in touch, get yeah. in touch, James McAvoy. <laughs> James McAvoy, great job. Ah, <laughs> oh, but oh, and the rest of the cast, you... the rest of the cast also. Shout oh yeah, yeah, out. they're uh... <laughs> whoop, whoop. they're great. Yeah, they're yeah. really good. I particularly, yeah, I enjoy the overly villainous turn. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, very good. It's it is a fun story. It might it might be very yeah. old, but it is still got a lot to say. It's a lot oh, it's got a lot to do and say. I'll tell you what else has a lot to do and say though. It's the Duke, the Duke, the Duke. Mm. So we have Roger Mitchell, mm-hmm. um, who directed oh Notting Hill. Oh, okay, small film. Never heard oh, of it. who died in twenty twenty one? Okay, this, these are revelations coming to me. This so. <laughs> Okay, Five. he died shortly after making this movie, I guess. Oh, oh, interesting. Sad. He also made My Cousin Rachel, which I also really, really liked. Um, but yeah, he made Notting Hill. How oh, interesting. Mm. Um, so yeah, I guess we had the last film from Roger Mitchell, uh, The Duke, which is a film in which Jim Broadbent uh, plays a real-life a real life character who sort of was very eccentric and he was um, trying to campaign for older people to get free license fees. Um, because as he says it, in watching the television is a way of connecting to the world and it's very important not to become disconnected as you get older. And so in as part of his crusade, he ends up uh, ostensibly stealing this picture of uh, the Duke of Wellington from the National Gallery. And his plan is to ransom it back in exchange for money that he can then use to you know, pay for so many, for, to put towards his cause. And it's just about him trying to do that whilst the various characters in his life, including his wife, played by Helen Mirren, sort of interact with him. And it's 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 very it's a it's a good film. 
We shall say that. It's okay. quite essentially a good film. It's quite... It's a Robin Hood story, and it has a lot of charm to it. It's part of a mold. It's this mold of sort of older people getting into trouble. Mm-hmm. And it's fine for that. It is saccharine, I would say. Okay. And it's playing for the cheap seats in terms of its humor and its sort of big heartfelt moments. But it is also fairly endearing, I felt. It's it's harmless, but still still hit home, especially in its sense of sort of old people being isolated. And it's, you know, the way in which it portrays that and the, the spirit behind it was very mm-hmm. big hearted. That's nice. It is heightened by Jim Broadbent. Oh, everything is. <laughs> and Helen Mirren's performance. Oh, yeah. Yep, they're both they're both amazing. They're both fantastic in this role. Helen Mirren in particular just plays such a, a lovely... It's a lovely portrait of an older woman with regrets and oh, pains yeah. that she's not really able to communicate and mm-hmm. that, but that she's still holding on to. So there's a sort of sobriety and solemnity to her, which is, you know, <laughs> very believable, but also, you know, very very moving and then broadbent is he's playing broadbent you know he's this big eccentric (laughs) character you know he dances and he sings about the place and he's a lot of fun um and it feels like a very endearing monument to this man who i I assume it's an accurate portrayal of him it's a very you know a passionate portrayal of this man who speaks a very english sense of constructive belligerence (laughs) i can get behind that yeah, I think so. Just making a nuisance of yourself for the right reasons mm-hmm. um, is, is is a kind of lovely way. He's very mild, but, you know, he'll occasionally spend a couple of days in prison because he refuses to pay the license fee and, you know, just makes a nuisance of himself. <laughs> and it's it's quite a charming old English archetype and Broadbent yeah. encapsulates it very well. So I think <sighs> star rating is hard. It's between a three and a four. Um, right. What what do you get? It's 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 tricky because there's nothing for what it's trying to be. It it couldn't. I I can't say it would be improved by being, you know, radically grimmer or even more <laughs> lighthearted or funny or anything like that. I think it sets out and achieves everything it intended to be. And I tell you what, I would have been less well disposed to this film about ten years ago because there was a general feeling in British cinema that we make these kinds of feel good, you know, it's a bit of a laugh you know, have fun movies for older people and then young people were just getting grim. Just grim, yeah. life on the estates, you know, horrible situations, kind of Ken Loach-style documentary realism upsetting. And why couldn't young people have light-hearted, fun cinema of their own? You know, because in the 60s, you know, young people had things like Cliff Richard movies and Carry On movies and oh, yeah. things that were aimed at them that were still a laugh. Um, and I'm there's there's more of those now. Um, that I've noticed. And this mm. last year, we had People Just Do Nothing big in Japan a few months ago, which is very much aimed at a sort of younger um, cinema goers. And there was a film, which, the name of which I cannot remember, and I'm infuriated <laughs> that I can't, but it was about a bunch of young lads trying to, I think, start a record label or get to a concert in London. Um, and I really I can't remember what it's called, but that was there. And then if you open it out a little bit, you've got Blinded by the Lights yesterday. Um, mm. And... Uh, and if you go back a little further, Sing Street. So there are still people's oh, yeah. being made, uh, people's being made for young films. And I think that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. and I think that's good. So I'm better disposed towards the sort of comforting blanket of a movie that is The Duke, there's um, time of for which it. we still make quite a lot. There are times now is now is an era yeah. for comforting blankets of films. <laughs> yes, that's true. And I just wish there were more movies like that being made for broader audiences in the UK than just the um, the sort of bus pass, mm. you know, kind of. Era, but they deserve films as well, of course. Um, <laughs> it, I, I'm films trying to, trying to phrase this people. right. <laughs> films for older people. And it, the, my only issue with it was it felt like there was this little cottage industry of it in the UK and that it felt okay. a bit like the stagnation of film because we were only pitching movies towards people who, know you, you know, already remembered and loved film. And it didn't feel like we were really engaging younger generations. And that, for me, felt a bit dangerous because there's a chance of... I don't know, young British people being disconnected from the national cinema, which can only be a bad thing. Mm. But I think we've done some work to address the imbalance there, so I'm happier for this to exist. Cool. All right. <laughs> I hope it doesn't come out and really massively like anti-old in any way. No, no, no. I totally get. I get what you mean. I get what you mean. That. Um... I hope. I hope others do too. Mm. I can't put it into words because you're the one who does the eloquent stuff and i just sit here and go uh-huh uh-huh i feel incredibly mm. eloquent right now but uh look 
Some of my, you can always tell the difference too between something that is pandering to older audiences and something that is just inclusive of them. Mm. There's a dreadful film a few years ago called The Hat and Garden Job or something like that, mm. which was very much a case. Or Harry Brown, the yeah. Michael Caine movie a few uh, about a decade ago, where it's a case of ugh, young people. Wouldn't it be great if you were allowed to just shoot them? Yes, and I remember this, seeing that. <laughs> yeah, those are horrible and just depressing and nasty. Yeah. Um, this is not that. This is a case of, hey, you're never too old to make a difference in the world. And that is incredibly valuable and something that we should all remember. Mm. Young people as well, you know. Yeah, that's so. true. I like that. There you go. Nice yeah. message. Cool. I hope so. That's a high. Love anything with Jim Broadbent. Broadbent? <laughs> Broadbean. Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbean is absolutely remarkable. And I'll tell you what else is remarkable. The last thing I have to talk about yes. is that they have re-released The Godfather because it is its oh. 50th anniversary no. this year. <laughs> 50. Half Wowie. a century it has been. Okay. And yes, good lord. So it's coming Oof. out back into cinemas. Godfather 1 is doing the rounds. It's being in, released in Picture House Cinemas and then Prince Charles in London. And I'm sure it's elsewhere as well. Cool. And I've, I've also noticed like Godfather 2 as well. But I did go and see The Godfather, um, the first film, with mm. Katie and my friends Katie and Matt. Matt, who I think both of them had seen it before but didn't have very strong memories mm. of it. So it was really great. I, I watched the film quite a lot. I've seen it <laughs> probably like every other year or so since... Wow. I was a kid, yeah. so I knew I knew it very well. But this was actually my first time seeing it on the big screen, mm. and it is delightful. And if you do get a chance to do so, I would recommend it because yeah. it's lovely to inhabit this world. And I feel like maybe this is one of those films, kind of like novels, like Don Quixote or um, mm. The Three Musketeers, where it's so established that nobody thinks it could possibly be good to experience. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, people, after a while, people forget why a thing is popular. And they think, oh, The Godfather, that's just a boring kind of... In the same mm. way as Citizen Kane. Mm. They'll just think, oh, it's just, you know... And you forget, well, no, the reason it's the biggest movie in the world and you've heard of it and it's incredibly boring to consider is because it's so good. Yeah. Because it <laughs> resonated with people a lot. Yeah. And was really exciting and interesting and absorbing. So, yeah, it's just... It's really interesting. And it, it this time around, it really made me focus on the sort of transformation of Michael Corleone. Because for anyone mm. who doesn't know, it's about a crime family with... Um, <laughs> Could you the Godfather know? at the top. Well, you never yeah. know. You never know. No, I'm not going to judge you for not knowing. <laughs> I think it's one of those. No, yeah. but I think it's one of those cultural osmosis things. I mean, there's references to the Godfather and things like Zootopia, you know. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. Even your kids knows. know what the Godfather your is. Your kids point. know what the Godfather is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's you know the, the iconic thing. This older gangster who does favors for people who come to him, mm-hmm. and his life is then threatened, and. His son, Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino, then has to step up, take control of the family business, and it's about the sort of ensuing drama as a result of that decision. When he himself had hoped to not go into the family business, and Mm. indeed the father, um, Vito Corleone, played by um, Marlon Brando, had also hoped he wouldn't go into that business. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's surrounded by these eccentric characters, including his brothers, um, Fredo, played by, I can't remember his name, but he made the best decisions in the world. He was in five movies ever and all five were nominated for best picture wow <laughs> um, and his brother Sonny played by James Kahn mm. um, and also the adopted brother uh, played by Robert Duvall mm. Tom Hagen so yeah it's, it's just this drama it's this really big universe you just fall right into it mm-hmm. and it's just there's so many aspects to it it's like a whole season of a great show you yeah know, just this big world which has you know Sicily and um, Las Vegas and New York and it's all kind of happening at once and there's all these little little characters all over the place and it's not too hard to follow because you are following michael's journey Mm. it's a transformation and what's really interesting this time around is spotting the point where he changes because Mm. he starts off he's this young guy he's a bit meek but he's quiet and he's very determined and intelligent and he's just gotten out of the army a decision that is very interestingly explored in the next film Mm. um and he's he's uh, absolutely determined to make something of himself with his new girlfriend, uh, Kay, played by Diane Keaton. Um, and then something happens. Uh, his father is shot in the street and goes to hospital. Yeah. He learns that the hospital is not going to be a safe place for his father, that the police mm. are corrupt and are set against them. And then he gets beaten by the cops. And that is what turns him. It's from that point onwards, not the point where he kills two people, which is like kind of his first initiation right into the mafia. It's the point where he has lost faith in 
America. You know, the movie begins with the lines, I believe in America. But as soon as Michael stops believing in America as a place that, you know, is welcoming of his kind or his people, he starts to become all about the business. And that was really interesting, too, was the constant talk of the business and the idea, you know, someone says at some stage, even shooting your father was not personal. It was business. Mm. And you're just expected that in this business, giving up life is just part of it. Yeah. You just need to accept that and kind of work within the rules. And yeah, it's a very interesting film that just ties in notions of mob behavior and violence into American culture and kind of capitalism and how it works. And you know, there's lots of little details that just stand out on screen and characters who are in the background who maybe you didn't notice before and suddenly you realize they're living a whole life in the background of this film. Yeah. And it's a really beautiful transfer they've got. It looks stunning. It looks yeah. like a brand new film. And yeah, I highly recommend it. It's just really absorbing and really entertaining as Ooh. well as being just a very profound piece of filmmaking. I would like to see that. Um, I mm. only saw The Godfather 1 and 2 for the first time. <gasps> in 20 christmas 2020 <clears throat> oh yes i remember you mentioning uh, this yeah at the same time as i watched sisters and kane for the first time actually so that's another oh, <laughs> i just go. take off a few big ones <laughs> see, uh, see a couple of the greats exactly and i totally get it like it was one of those mm. it's one of those ones i thought oh is it really you know is it what well, everyone says it's so great but yeah it's true they're they're really good films for a reason <laughs> they're really absorbing yeah. particularly i mean i my favorite one was the god was the first godfather I like that ah, one best. Okay. And I can't put my finger on why. I just, mm. I think it's, yeah, I think it's just seeing him go from this, his transformation yeah. in this positive, not positive sense, but, you know, it's his more his ascension rather than the second yes. one where things get a bit sadder, but, which is also sad. excellent. <laughs> but, um, well, it's his fall because the yeah. first movie shows the fall of Vito Corleone and the rise of Michael. And then mm. inversely, the second movie shows the rise of Vito Corleone in flashback and yes. the, um, mm-hmm. the fall of Michael. And, yeah, I, I've I've always said the second was my favourite, but I'd be interested to go and see that at the cinema in the next couple of weeks because that's on re-release too uh-huh. um, for its less impressive um, 46th anniversary, Is I guess. Is it? <laughs> would it be 48th? I think it came out the year after because Coppola made The Godfather, The Conversation, then The Godfather Part 2, and then Apocalypse Now. Okay. So, yeah, he had a very good wow. 70s. <laughs> good time. Good times. And uh, that's pretty much all the good times I've had in the cinema lately. Great. I'm going to tell you about a film that I watched. Oh, I think I might have only watched (laughs) one film since we last spoke. (laughs) But the other day I watched... No, that's a complete lie. I've watched two films (gasps) since we last spoke. Oh, my God. (laughs) Definitely that I can remember. You need to get out more, Jen. One of them was The Phantom, 1996. Yes. Fantastic. Which was excellent, um, yes. obviously. I read I on used the Wik- to love that movie. I read on the Wikipedia that apparently the original script was written to be a satire, like a joke script. But that then, makes so much sense. And then, then they dialed so, it back. Yeah, they sort of dialed it back yeah. and someone took over and it wasn't like, you know, people left and came, and then the script ended up being read very straight-faced, which is why some of the yeah. lines are very funny. Yeah. Yeah, particularly the whole, like, <laughs> evil guy on that towards the end xander the drax that, xander drax is obviously yeah super camp and fun <laughs> yeah and also the evil sort of piratey guy who's been hiding oh, in a yeah. cave for decades to protect the mm. skull he was also he had some lines i'm like of course that was a joke like you can't yeah. have written that ever thinking it was serious I mean, it's about a guy yeah. in a purple suit, so it was never going to be that well, serious. Exactly. But, um, yeah, it was mm. the problem with post-Tim Burton's Batman. Tim mm. Burton made Batman in 1989, and afterwards there was this big rush to try and capitalize on the superhero mm. genre. You had things like The Shadow, which I also really like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Phantom was then. Yeah, there was yeah. this need to sort of play it straight to try and appeal to the teen market. But it's a shame because, yeah, I think it, it had a been... great cast. Oh, yeah. A really good comedy. Oh, yeah. It was a lot of fun. I still yeah. had a great time. I would rewatch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh the other film i watched was alive from alive, alive. The, um, the one about the rugby team and the mountains. yes yeah the oh, one wow. I, and i it's one of those things where i'm like not necessarily going to say it's the most incredible film although it was well mm. done but the yeah. story is so haunting <laughs> yes that it it's really very is. hard to not be thinking about it all the time and just what yeah. would you do if you spent 70 days living on the side of a mountain yeah in the snow exactly with and it's you know a dozen or two other people you know yeah 
brutal. And I'm they don't kill anyone, do they? The people they end up eating died mm. in the crash or of subsequent exposure. Yeah, um yeah. yeah. So spoilers, they do end up eating people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um because how else do you just survive? And it's very yeah. yeah. Um but everyone who dies, no one's gets killed. There's no um mm. everyone's just very really generally very sweet and supportive of each other yes <laughs> and just trying to be there and trying to help yeah. each other out but you know ultimately it's a very grim couple of months for them on the side of a mountain yeah. knowing they've been abandoned oh, it's and grim on the side of a mountain it is uh yeah. and then how you know they eventually get out is i mean again spoilers someone walks yeah. walks over them the the um andes someone climbs yeah. no equipment it's ethan hawk isn't it? e- ethan hawk <laughs> ethan <Yeah>. hawk <laughs> and like one other guy crossed the andes uh mm. having lived for the past you know having survived a plane crash and spent two months living on scraps of human and then they yeah. walk out of the andes and get them rescued uh and they don't cover any of the sort of i thought would have been interesting to cover some of the post you know, going back home yeah. sort of story because yeah, like a castaway. Yeah. You got to catch yeah, up exactly. back home for a bit. Yeah. Um, although maybe it is after a film that, in, you know, this a story that intense, it's probably best to leave it on the high of them getting rescued, rather than the yeah. inevitable trauma of them having to live in the real world, being like, yeah, so <laughs> to survive, yeah. this is what <laughs> happened. Um, I mean, you'd never yeah. blame them for it, and it's you know, at one no, point, absolutely not. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. But uh, it's yeah, very interesting story, worth mm. uh, worth watching. I've kind of spoiled it all, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> it is worth watching. And yes, I can I can recommend a similar f- film, a film mm. called Arctic from uh, ah. 2018. Mm. The first two words of this little review I'm going to offer should sell most people on it. Mads Mikkelsen. Oh yeah, is, I'm, I'm uh, yep. He is. It's an Icelandic survival drama, according to Wikipedia, which I enjoy. But I I saw it at the film festival in 2018. And it's a guy who's stuck out in the middle of the Arctic and he's miles away from any sort of salvation and he's kind of doing the regular. He's mm. um, got a distress beacon and he's keeping himself alive. But suddenly there is a helicopter crash and he finds that one of the pass- one of the passengers is still alive, this young woman. Oh. And he decides, okay, I can't give up and just sort of wait here to see if I get rescued or not. I'm going to have to make a journey and try and actually yeah. save this person. And so... It gives him the impetus to sort of survive. And mm. it's about him making this perilous journey across the Arctic, encountering various obstacles and, you know, dangerous things in order to try and save this young woman's life. And Mickelson's great, of course. You don't need to tell me that. Um, to tell you that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah, it was a really sublime film. So, oh, yeah, I'd recommend that as well. Great. Well, you had to get the so, last word in, huh? <laughs> Oh, tell me more about the Phantom. Phantom. (laughs) Good time. Good time was had. It sounds. It sounds more. I I would probably five stars. Oh, there's a question. Which would I rather watch right now, the Phantom or the Batman? (laughs) It's tough, and I think that says it all. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I watched the Phantom just last week, and part of me still tempted to pick it again. (laughs) Look, a nice easy time. Is Catherine Zeta-Jones in that movie? She is. She is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's fun. I love Catherine Zeta-Jones. <laughs> I do too. I rewatched The I Mask l- of Zorro. Yeah, I love her because of that. Which... And also she's yeah. great in Chicago. Oh, of course. I forgot mm. about Chicago. She's very good in that. Do you remember that movie Entrapment with Sean yes, Connery? Yes, I love that film. I haven't watched that movie since I was a teenager. I'd be very <laughs> uh, interested in seeing how oh, it holds up. probably bad, but I love that film. I love that. <laughs> Uh, it was meant to be just a saucy thriller, right? A, it, a was. A, it was. Ca- a, to catch a thief style, you know, will they, won't they? I'd also deal. be interested in rewatching it because I do remember enjoying the film because of the whole, like, mm. I love anything where it's like, here's a heist. Um, yeah. But I I don't know. I think the last time I watched it must have been in my teens. I remember not mm. understanding the drama between the two. And like, yeah, yeah, this, the relationship between them makes no sense. And well, I, only, I just remember looking part... at me like, she's so young. Why on earth would she be falling for him? Well, no, I remember two parts of that movie. One is the bit where Catherine Cedar Jones turns to um, uh, Sean Connery and says, this is entrapment. And it's like, ah! Uh! But then he says, yeah. actually, it's blackmail. And it's like, oh, oh. is it not entrapment? <laughs> I guess Entrapment just sounds like a cool, sexy yeah. title. And then obviously I remember the bit where she's squirming around the, the lasers. Yeah, squirming, me too. That's yeah, all she's I remember. squirming about the lasers. Yeah. And I remember the like a really tender shot of her butt as she kind of squeezes mm-hmm. under a laser, a yeah. laser beam. <laughs> burned onto your memory. It's burned in there, and yeah. it'll always be part yeah. of that. 
So as we all think about Catherine Zeta-Jones and her legacy, <laughs> um, let's let's round off. Okay. All right. Um, I guess I'll uh, I'll take us out. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This podcast was called Woo. Jen and the Film Critic. I was d- boop 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 boop. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what uh, I was saying. You got to the bit where you had to say your own name. I did. Parents. It's then my brain went. You're supposed to say Screen Mayhem, and then I stopped. Uh-oh. My brain stopped. I'm Screen Mayhem. I'm Screen Mayhem. Um, <laughs> you've been listening to Jen and the Film Critic. Um, my name's Jen, and with me is my film critic Paul. And I've... I'm still Vengeance. Yeah. And uh, this is a podcast from Screen Mayhem. Uh, you can email us at filmcriticpodcast at gmail and you can find us on social media at Screen Mayhem. And our theme music was by Jacob Blundell. And uh-huh. um, the weather's oh, it's stopped raining here. And Oh, uh, good stuff. Yeah, just about. And uh, there you go. Um, have a nice day. Go watch The Fountain. Fountain? Phantom. Ha- don't, watch watch. The Fountain. don't watch go The watch Fountain. Don't watch The Fountain. <laughs> no, don't go watch, watch that. Go watch Damon Aronofsky's Mars. No, 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 no. <laughs> Starring Catherine Cedar Jones. Yeah, and James McAvoy. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Now that I've watched.